This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. One of the big questions is what is money? For practical purposes, it exists in a series of uh, heterogeneous databases, very different databases. Do you believe in crypto? Digital currency may be an answer. But it is the highly speculative asset. Uh, I do own Bitcoin. There is no second past. Welcome to the Crypto Curious Podcast, designed to help you navigate the dynamic world of cryptocurrency. We're here for anyone who's interested in crypto at all. Maybe you've already dipped your toe in the water, or maybe you don't know anything about it, and this is the very beginning. But we recommend heading back to the early episodes to get your footing. However, if you think you're ready to dive in head first, then let's do it. Coming up in this episode, well, it's all about the Ethereum merge because today is the day, finally. So we're going to bring you the live action from the biggest day in crypto, plus some other news that's been flying around this week. So my name's Tracy, and as always, I'm joined by my pals from the Bamboo app, Blake and Craig. Welcome, guys. Happy Merge Day. It's finally here. G'day, Tracy. Great to be here. Hey, Craig. G'day, Trace. I think this is the first time I've heard someone call it the Merge Day. The Merge Day. Well, it's because it's today. The total energy use of the Ethereum blockchain is expected to drop by more than 99%. I will say this, if the merge is a wild success, I'm told that users won't be able to tell that anything has changed. Ethereum won't become faster, cheaper, or more scalable after the merge, at least not yet. This is how important it is. Google have earlier this week put up a merge clock. So if you jumped onto Google and typed in Ethereum merge, there's a little clock. And if we check the clock right now live, it's saying zero days, one hour and 37 minutes. Mate, you don't even have to put in the Ethereum merge. You can just put in the merge and (laughs) it knows what you're talking about. So, hey, this is one up. Well, there you go. So we actually even went as far as planning today's episode in the afternoon. We normally record in the morning. We we recorded this one in the afternoon hoping that the merge had happened, but it's actually an hour and 37 minutes away. That's because it's not an exact science, this merge. So, you know, it's happening as we speak. Why isn't it an exact science? It's something to do, and even in this Google counter that we're looking at, it's, it's all to do with hash rate and merge difficulty. Do either of you even understand what any of that means? Yeah, a little bit, but um, probably not enough to talk to it. <laughs> okay, we'll, we'll, we'll leave that there. But again, we, we have covered this off in the last few weeks and we are going to talk about it a little bit more today because I can't look at any of my social media, you know, be that Twitter, Discord, um, any of the YouTube channels without it talking about the merge this week. And even the normie um, media channels are all talking about this merge because it is important to crypto world. So let's talk about why it's so important. Boys, who wants to take this? Why is why is it so important? Yeah, so I think one big reason is the energy usage. Now, the latest episode of The Dive from our other show on Equity Mates, um, they said that Ethereum in its current state uses the same amount of energy as the Netherlands, which is a whole country in Europe. That's a lot. It is a lot. And is, it, I, was on, I was on The Dive, so go back, guys, and, and listen to the last episode of The Dive where they do cover the merge, jumped on there and talked to uh, the dive folk about that, so the the whole of the Netherlands. So Pretty crazy. So Yeah, it is. It's crazy. And that's one of the massive criticisms for crypto is that, you know, it uses so much energy. Like Bitcoin uses the same as Argentina, which is a considerably larger country than the Netherlands, and it's been a massive hurdle for Ethereum adoption. And most institutions simply aren't getting behind it because of the carbon footprint it leaves behind. Like, as you know, a lot of investment companies are – 
they have their own carbon and climate goals that they're trying to reach, like offsetting. So investing in Ethereum creates a bit of an issue for them. So this could open the door for a lot more institutions to dip their toe into Ethereum, Trace. I know, Blake, you think the same thing, don't you? You're, that's your way of thinking? Yeah, exactly right. Um, and, you know, as we know, Ethereum is also going to be deflationary. So this is this is great because it means that every year there's going to be less and less Ethereum as more and more people start to use it. So pretty exciting feature to the protocol. How exactly does it become deflationary? Essentially, every time a transaction fee is paid, a certain percentage of that is going to be burnt or permanently destroyed. There's like some technicalities around like how the inflation works around the block rewards for validators versus the miners. I know that there's some key differences there, but I don't know exactly what they are. But it is, you know, going to tip the needle towards it being far more deflationary from where it is now. Yeah, and they're throwing some big numbers around. Like the estimates are saying it's like it's a 10x decrease straight away, which is huge, I think. So, yeah, that's that's one big point. I guess we're talking about, you know, some some key points why this is exciting, but what about the risks, Blake? What are some of the risks that we need to consider here? Yeah, so the main one is that as, you know, the network upgrades, some people may decide not to support the network upgrade, and this can result in the code splitting. Um, so some people might support a proof of stake blockchain for Ethereum, which is Ethereum 2.0, which is what we want and need. But there may be some people there that think that they can capture value by keeping the old code base alive and supporting and mining transactions that move across that minority blockchain. And it could be the case that that minority blockchain ends up capturing anywhere from 1% to 3% of the network value of Ethereum. The market cap at the moment of Ethereum is almost 200 billion US dollars. So, you know, almost $300 billion Aussie. Uh, And, you know, if someone captures 3% of that, that's, you know, 6 billion USD, almost 10 billion Aussie dollars, which is massive and a, a massive incentive for people to then try and, you know, keep that secondary chain alive. So, And we've seen this before though, haven't we, Blake? We've seen this many times before when blockchains do upgrades, you know, in almost every Bitcoin upgrade, there's been a fork. You know, it's happened a couple of times with Ethereum as well. And that's why we see lots of exchanges and trading apps pausing, you know, deposits and withdrawals and also trading of Ethereum today um, because, you know, they don't know, you know, if a fork is going to happen. And if they do, they have to create then two tokens on their platform for their customers. Mm. So we're saying that's a risk, but then potentially in a couple of days, we all might end up with some extra cash. Well, yeah, that's that's a theory that a lot of people have is that you could be airdropped a ETHW token, which is the ETH proof-of-work token. Now, this is making a lot of people really nervous because people are borrowing ETH at a record rate to get this proof-of-work airdrop, which means, as we know, if a lot of people are borrowing the same asset and they default on their loans, we see what we saw a few months ago, which is a complete washout and a ripple effect. Blake, is that how you see it? Yeah, no, it's really fascinating. But have we been over the the topic of airdrops? We don't think we have, so tell us a bit more. Yeah, so obviously, you know, the blockchain is audible and you can get a a list of everyone's um, wallet address on on Ethereum, for example. 
And some new projects use this as a way of promoting their their products. So they get their token and they send a little bit to all the people that are holding Ethereum at a particular point in time. So then when you go to your wallet, you have their token in there. And then you know, that may or may not cause you to do some research and then be able to utilize that token within their product. Yeah. And I will say, guys, security call out. If someone's messaging you or you see a message that says, fill in this form to clam your airdrop, mm. do not do that. That is most likely a scam. Red flag. Yes. Airdrop is an airdrop. You don't have to do anything. It gets airdropped to your wallet. It's there. I know um, you, when I think me and Tracy a few weeks ago, we talk about we spoke about the Uniswap airdrop. Now, we actually did have to go to the official Uniswap website, connect our wallet to claim that. And that's only the way that you should do it. No one should be messaging you. No links. Like, be very careful because I can see scams that have infiltrated YouTube at the moment. I'm sure everyone else has seen them. Vitalik's giving away. Yeah, same goes with NFTs. Yeah, exactly right. Exactly. Okay, that's a few risks that we've touched on there. Is anything else we can think of? I know that I was listening to a YouTube clip last night and they talked about the validators. This one doesn't make a lot of sense to me, Blake. Do you have your head around this one a bit more? They talked about if the validators were offline. And they were talking a bit more about what happened with the 9% when um, they were testing the merge with Bellatrix last time. Do you get this? Uh, I haven't heard that story, but of course, you know, at the moment, as it stands, all the Ethereum that's being staked is on um, the Beacon chain, which is a testnet chain, sort of. It's a secondary chain running in parallel to the Ethereum main chain. Um, and if some of the validators don't update the software to transition to F2.0, of course, you know, they wouldn't be getting the rewards, but it could also lead to flow on effects that don't support the network and maybe other issues as well. So yeah, do, do you know anything about that, Trace? I think they said they only needed about 75% for it to work okay. Um, and they're well over that at this point in time. So it was a risk, but it's a risk at this point in time that looks to be mitigated. But look, let's leave risks there and move on to busting a few myths around the merge because I know that uh, Craig and I were talking around (laughs) a couple of myths yesterday in regards to gas fees, um, which unfortunately will be no cheaper. That is um, a common myth around this merge and no, I'm afraid, unfortunately, uh, this one doesn't do anything, does not reduce the gas fees. Um, Instead, Ethereum is kind of relying heavily on Layer 2 solutions to help out with that. So that's things like Optimism and Arbitrum. So that will be something that is further down the line in the roadmap. So gas fees won't, won't change at all. What else is another? Yes, I did get that wrong, Trace. You, um, I put up an Instagram reel of me saying Ethereum will be cheap now, <laughs> but no, fake news. Um, but it will be faster, actually. And um, I don't know what it's at now, but it will get to the speed of 100,000 transactions per second. And as you know, there's five stages of this upgrade. We've got the merge, the surge, the verge, the purge, the splurge. So it's going to keep getting faster. It's probably a few years away from being super fast, mm. but it's a major upgrade to that because I know minting NFTs, et cetera, you had to wait pretty agonizingly, mm. like maybe half an hour for it to close. But now hopefully you won't see that. So on on that, Craig, yeah, just with the transaction speeds getting quicker, I think they'll be about 10% quicker on proof of stake compared to proof of work. And the way that they do that is that they just have shorter periods between block propagation, which essentially means that the blocks of transactions 
that they created in the blockchain um, happen you know, at shorter intervals. That's how how they'll make it a little bit faster and in the future um, they'll develop new ways of fitting more transactions into those blocks to then further increase the speed. Nice. Good to know. And as we know, it's the first part. So I'll give a little overview about what's next. I don't think all these other upgrades will be as big a deal as this one. Like I don't see Google doing this for all these other ones, but I'll, I'll talk about them anyway. So the Surge, which is all about sharding for Ethereum. Now a sharding allows for Layer 2's Optimism and Arbitrum to scale more easily. Now that's when the gas fees will be cheaper on those Layer 2's, not necessarily the main chain. Is that right, Tracy? Yeah, so perhaps the Surge will be the one that we're actually counting down to because finally gas fees will be a little bit cheaper. So yes. we'll see. Hopefully. So And there's also the Verge. Tell me about the Verge, Trace. Look, I don't profess to know heaps about the Verge one. I just read about these vertical trees last night and these stateless clients, which is, I suppose, really this one's all about decentralization because a lot of a lot of people are actually talking about the fact that what we're doing here is taking away from decentralization because such big groups of people can stake in one group. So there's a few people voicing their concerns about this big merge saying that it's kind of coming away from you know, being decentralised, where the verge phase, which is the second after the the surge, is more about being decentralised again. So that's that's what I know about the verge fa- phase. So what's the difference between a Verkle tree and a Merkel tree? <laughs> Seriously. Okay, let's move to the purge. The purge, yeah. So Ethereum's been around for a, well, five or six years now. So the whole idea is a purge is to purge all the old history of the network. So cut down some space that the validators need to validate transactions and also reduce network congestion, which is... Well, I guess by the time the purge happens, which is probably a couple of years on from here, it'll be a lot more to include in that purge as yeah, well. Yeah, definitely. All of your NFT mints, Trace. Mm, there'll be a few of those. Yep. And then what about the splurge? The splurge will increase your transaction volume to 100,000 um, transactions a second. Um, and this is the kind of scale that Ethereum needs to be able to, you know, compete with platforms like MasterCard and Visa. You know, if all the stable coins are running on Ethereum, um, it's going to mean that they need much more than 100,000 transactions a second. But you know, 100,000 transactions a second is a good scale. Yeah. So basically what's happening today in another hour is we're kind of building things from scratch. They needed to be moving from this proof of work chain to proof of stake chain and this is now the foundation. So they're kind of clearing things out and they're getting things ready to do all of these other stages from here. And I think like we've mentioned before and and like I spoke about on the dive yesterday and the way this has been put is it's a really hard thing to do because they're doing it as the chain's still progressing, as it's still going. So they're saying that it's basically like trying to change the engine mid-flight. So that's why everyone's watching this countdown to see if there's going to be a hiccup. Um, I don't even know if, we, if we're going to see it. Just It just clicks over and nothing happens and it's going to be like the biggest anticlimax of all time, <laughs> probably. So what, what does that mean for everyone, Blake, once it's happened? Price action? Yeah, the, the, there's a lot of data um, on-chain data and off-chain data showing that you know many people are 
betting on the market going down after the merge. But at the same time, there's a lot of money on the side like waiting to get in and you know, they could just be waiting until post-merge before they do so. So you know, it's really anyone's guess and um, you know, some people want to gamble on it, they can do that. Well, we'll know soon enough. So let's leave it there and take a break. And when we come back, we'll talk about one or two of the other news stories that were tucked in between all the merge talk this week. Welcome back. You're listening to the Crypto Curious show today, which has been dominated by the merge, but we do have some other stories that were tucked in there this week. And this story, I love this story this week. We can't go one week here without not talking about a big name brand who's entering the crypto space. And this week, Starbucks, who we've spoken about in the past, but this one was a big announcement. They're partnering with Polygon to put their loyalty program on the blockchain. So, boys, Polygon is seriously the flavour of 2022. They're having an absolute year of it at the moment. Maybe they'll get their own Frappuccino named after them. So this partnership uh, with Starbucks is called Odyssey. And, Craig, you want to tell us a little bit more about what we need to know here? Yeah, so it's combining the new rewards loyalty program that they've got into a new web app. Obviously, Starbucks is huge in the US, like pretty much the only place you can get coffee, which is bad for Blake because he's a bit of a coffee snob. Pretty much these NFTs that you can earn, you have to participate in the fancy Starbucks tours. There's one in Costa Rica. I actually went to a Starbucks in New York and they had a bunch of classes there as well. So they're trying to bring in the in-store experience, getting people out and about into the stores with these NFTs and pretty much users use their existing credentials to log into the web app and, you know, no crypto, no wallet needed, no gas fees. Customers won't even know that they're engaging with NFTs. But, you know, I've, I've said in the past that I'm sort of hating companies just doing NFTs for the sake of it, but I feel like this is actually a proper use case, finally. This is brilliant. I think this is really good. I also, when we were in, um, when we travelled the US many years ago, I went to the original Starbucks in Seattle, tiny little store. Uh, but I think this is pretty much genius because Starbucks loyalty program is massive. Uh, it has 27 million active users, which is bigger than McDonald's and Chipotle over there is massive, and this is this is much bigger than that. And 53% of them are spending in store, and they come and use their Starbucks rewards. So. I think this is huge. What do you reckon, Blake? It does mean easy onboarding to you know millions of new users participating in a token economy. Um, however, um, whether or not it's Web3 is probably a bit of a different question just because the way that it's managed through, you know, a central authority like, like Starbucks, mm, um, mm. you know, can they take your loyalty tokens from you <laughs> while you're sleeping? <laughs> yeah, well, you didn't drink enough coffee this week. Bam. <laughs> No more rewards for you. But uh, no, in all seriousness, it's great to see these big players adopting the technology for what it was built for. Um, And we're just going to see more and more of this. And and one day, you know, everything in the digital world will be tokenized, whether or not we know it. Yeah. So I guess you're right, though. It's not, um, you know, decentralized as it was meant to be, but it is, again, participating on chain and at least bringing a few more you know, eyes to the NFT side of things, which I think is really cool and we'll see where that goes. Another one to sit back with your uh, caramel macchiato and watch closely. We'll see where it goes. (laughs) Uh, Now to finish off with a couple of short, sharp bits of news. What have you got for us, Blake? 
The financial service giant Fidelity is considering offering crypto trading to their brokerage customers. So in total, Fidelity has about 35 million individual brokerage accounts. So they would come in as one of the biggest crypto trading platforms globally. This was potentially moved to follow BlackRock's partnering with Coinbase um, to offer crypto trading for its institutional customers. Um, but I think the scope of this seems a little bit broader as you know, its individual brokerage accounts. So a clear sign from Wall Street and the big banks that they are, um, you know, there's money to be made in this space and they want to capitalize on it. Will this one need to be ticked off though? Well, this one needs to have some kind of government backing or are they allowed to do that? Well, I think they'll be able to do it, but of course they would need, you know, the licensing in, you know, all the countries and, and states that they're trading in. So, you know, I suspect that they've been, you know, building a legal position for some time before they would announce something like this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, sure. What's up, Craig? So Doodles, we spoke about Doodles a few weeks ago when for uh, NFT New York, when Pharrell Williams was... Um, appointed the head of brand at Doodles. So they have now closed an equity um, funding for $54 million, which gives them a $700 million valuation, which is – I know Yuga Labs is in the billions, but Doodles is up there as probably top five biggest NFT projects. Um, it's being backed by FTX, Reddit, co-founders backing them. And they say that the funding will be used to monetize its intellectual property through ventures in music, culture, and entertainment industries. Now, Justin Bieber, Pharrell Williams, the Winklevoss twins, they all sport their Doodles profile pictures on Twitter. So a lot of big backers here, Trace. Yeah, okay. <laughs> no, you're not, you're not impressed, mate. <laughs> I just think that they're one of the more primary-looking kind of, you know, elementary-looking uh, NFTs. I don't particularly find them engaging. What do they even do? What is this? What is doodles? <laughs> I can just imagine our listeners Googling what they look like. They're essentially like, it's 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 like a colourful, like a kid, it looks like a kid's- It looks like a kid's colouring drawing book. They're pastel. They're really pastel. They're really lame to be- Honest. I can't believe someone raised $50 million off these. I know, I know. But it, apparently they're going to have such great utility. Who knows? Anyway, look, on to some, to some more news. South Korea has issued an arrest warrant for Do Kwon and five others based on evidence of fraudulent transactions, and this is the guy behind... The lunar guy. So the lunar... Not only the lunar guy, the UST guy. So mm. I'm sure... Let's just cast our mind back to... I think it was May when UST, which was being marketed as a stable coin, you could earn 20% yield. People were putting their savings in, and Do Kwan was um, probably levying up with the UST and Luna, mm. and um, probably the biggest wipeout in crypto history. And this guy is known for talking smack in the Twitter universe before this happened. He used to talk to people and say, you know, you're not as rich as me. He used to be very controversial. And now there's a lot of people, a lot of big Twitter personalities that are very happy that this is happening to him. So why why have South Korea got involved? Because he's he lives in South Korea. He's South Korean. Is he actually there though? Oh, he must be. You'd hope so. Mm. He's probably on a he's probably on a yacht somewhere in Barbados. I was going to say I don't I don't think he's there. <laughs> I'll put some money with leverage on it that he's not there. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it for our short sharp news this week. Um, we have spent a lot of time talking about Ethereum, and I'm just going to do one quick little Ethereum check on the clock here. We've got one hour 
eight minutes to go. Looking at the charts, Ethereum is sitting at 1,591 USD right now. And just a reminder, guys, that FinFest tickets are still on sale. Myself and Blake will be there. And we're recording today on the 15th of the 9th, and it's in a month's time. It's the 15th of October. So I think the tickets are still cheap now, but they're going to bump up in price. So make sure you get those. And come and say hi to me and Blake. Come and talk to us about crypto because we love to have a yarn. FinFest, 15th of October. But that's about it from us today. So I hope you've enjoyed the episode. Please join us again next week. Once again, if you've got any more thoughts on the merge or anything else crypto-related, please send us an email at podcast at getbamboo.io or hit us up on any of the social media. Uh, We've got the Facebook page still cranking, so join us in there. And once again, thanks for listening. Bye, guys. See you, guys. Bye. Crypto Curious is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Crypto Curious are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Mates Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act of 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the EquityMates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In a spirit of reconciliation, EquityMates Media and the hosts of Crypto Curious acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to the elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today.